So we might be here until about two this afternoon. <laughs> You're laughing. I'm not joking. <laughs> All right. I do have several verses for us to read, though. Um, it's, we're going to read 1-1, one, one, and then we'll flip over to the end of the book. <clears throat> Galatians 1-1. One, one. Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God our Father, who raised him from the dead. Turn over to chapter 6 with me. Starting with verse 14. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God, from now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Father, just from these few verses that we've read, we can tell that something unsettling and deeply troubling was happening in the churches of Galatia, and that Paul had to settle this. He had to bring it to resolution. So this morning, God, I just pray that you will help us to understand the thrust of this letter and, God, how we can live and apply it to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen. You may be seated. If I had to summarize the book of Galatians, it really would be that one verse that we read. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. That really summarizes the entire letter. That the power of grace... The power of love, the power of forgiveness is transforming. And the good news of the gospel transforms us from the inside out. And that is the Christian message, is that we are new creatures in Christ Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. And it's not our striving according to the law. It's not tradition. It's not ritual. It is a heartfelt religion. Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. And that is what is so radically different about Christianity. 
It is not a religion of rules or rituals or tradition. It is from our inner being that's been made alive in Christ. It's living, it's powerful, it's transforming. And the Galatian Christians had been deceived. Paul says that they had been bewitched. They had moved away from the principles of grace through faith in Christ alone to rituals, to observing days, observing months, observing seasons, celebrating special years. And Paul said, I am afraid for you that somehow maybe I have labored in vain. So you could see his passion in this letter. You could feel his heart in this letter. He says, I, I want to labor in travail as if a mother would bring forth a child all over again that I might bring you anew in Christ. And so this is a very, very passionate letter. It's a heartfelt letter because they had moved away from a gospel of grace alone. They begin to bite and devour and tear at each other because of these extra-biblical standards by which they were judging each other. And they were ripping each other apart. People, we don't grow under law. We grow under grace, don't we? And this is what the letter is all about. So salvation, what really is salvation? What is the essence of salvation? And what is sanctification? And this letter explains it. Salvation is all of grace. In other words, we don't do anything to earn salvation. It is all a gift of God. The minute you add anything to a gift, it is no longer a gift. Romans 11.6 says, If it is by grace, it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. So salvation is all the work of God. And yet we are responsible to believe and trust what Christ has done for us. Faith is not a work. Faith is believing what Christ has done for us. Faith does not obligate God to do anything. When the prodigal came home and returned to his father and said, Father, forgive me, I am not worthy to be your son. The father had all rights to say, you're exactly right. And I'm not going to give you anything. Go be one of my slaves. The son was completely responsible to repent and turn. And the father graciously, whether the, 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 his repentance didn't earn it. No, it was totally of the father's volition to say, I forgive you. I put my arms around you. I put a robe on you. I put a ring on your finger. Let's kill the fatted calf. So faith is not a work. It's diametrically opposed from the law in this book of Galatians. Sanctification is also all of grace. Somehow we think that once we get saved by faith through grace, now I have to be sanctified through human effort and through human work. Sanctification is the same process of grace through faith. The law was simply a temporary schoolmaster in the book of Galatians. It was our tutor to bring us to Christ, and now we are no longer under the tutor, but we are under the freedom of the Holy Spirit to develop us and to grow us. So sanctification is through the power of the Holy Spirit to change us. Victory over sin is by the power of the Holy Spirit 
to put on the new man which is created after Christ Jesus and the fruit of the Spirit, there is no violation of God's moral law. Galatians 5.23 Any other gospel, Paul says, any other gospel that adds grace, adds something to grace, is a false gospel. If you add any element, whatever it might be, church membership, baptism, the Lord's Supper, it doesn't matter what it is. If we add it to the gospel, it is no longer a gospel of grace. The false teachers were undermining Paul's authority. And you can see that through this entire letter. And that's why Paul starts out so emphatically. None of his letters start out this way. Paul, an apostle. It's so profound in the original language. It's simply Paulus Apostolos. It's predicate nominative. There's no interlinking verb. It's just Paul, apostle. This is who I am. And then the emphatic, neither from man, that's not my source, neither the means is through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. It's so emphatic as he begins this letter to say, I know people are undermining my authority because I wasn't one of the twelve. And so they're saying, this guy really isn't a legitimate apostle, neither is his gospel legitimate. So he starts out right from the get-go saying, I am an apostle, and my apostleship is straight from God the Father. He was accused of coming on later to the scene. And so he says, yes, I may have come on later to the scene, but my gospel didn't come from them. I received it independent from them. We didn't collaborate, and yet our gospels were identical. So if you look at Galatians 1, 11 and 12, you can see this. Galatians 1, 11, I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but through revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 17, I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. I went into Arabia and I returned to Damascus. My gospel was completely independent from what they were preaching. And yet when I went up to the Galatian, uh, when I went up to the Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15, our gospels were identical. We were preaching the same gospel. I, I never changed it. I never manipulated the gospel. Paul was accused of being inconsistent when he presented the gospel. People were saying when you're around circumcised people, you add circumcision. And when you're around the Gentiles, you leave it out. And your, your gospel's inconsistent. And Paul says this in Galatians chapter 5, I think it's in verse 12. He says, if I still preach circumcision, then why am I persecuted? Then the offense of the gospel has ceased. One of the most offensive things to the world is to say that anybody can be saved no matter what you have done. But that's the beauty of the gospel. It's an offense to the world. They want to say, well, you've got to do this, this, and this, and, and that person could never get saved. That is the beauty of our gospel, that anybody, no matter what you've done, no matter what time in life, God will reach down because it's all what? It's all grace. Any other gospel, Paul says, is an abomination to God, and it's worthy of damnation. Verse 1-7, it's not another, 
But some trouble you and they want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach another gospel to you than what we have preached, let him be accursed. So Paul defends this gospel. There is no other gospel. He calls these people who are introducing this new gospel, he calls them troublemakers. <laughs> uh, I like that word. They're, they're troublemakers. And the, the expositors of the book of Galatians call them Judaizers. But I, I like Paul's word. They're troublemakers because that's what they were. They were, just, they were coming into the church and they were just trying to stir things up. They were trying to divide people. They were trying to get people to judge one another based on secondary issues of conscience that didn't matter about their Christian life at all. So let's look at these troublemakers, who they were. They were introducing a Jewish element to Christianity. They were adding laws and rites and special holidays, but especially the rite of circumcision as necessary for salvation. So in 1.7, we, we just read that verse, he says, those who trouble you. And what were the troublemakers doing? They were perverting or twisting the gospel of Christ. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to deny Christian freedom. Christian freedom is to be guided by the Holy Spirit in matters of conscience. That's Christian liberty. I'm not going to micromanage you. You don't need me to micromanage you. You have the Holy Spirit, and He'll do a lot better job than I will. Because I'm blind half the time. And I'm short-sighted, and I'm prejudiced, and I'm biased. And you might be doing something that I think you ought not to be doing, and I might be doing something that you think I ought not to be doing. But those are matters of conscience. And these Judaizers, they were judging others because of freedom. And Paul says, I would not yield to that even for an hour. He says, Titus, who was a Greek, I would not have him circumcised in order that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. Now, he could have had Titus circumcised just to, to quench all the conflict and says, okay, let's just go ahead and do it. But Paul says, no, because if I compromise here, I am sending a wrong message about the gospel. The gospel is worth defending. And our Christian liberties and our Christian freedom are worth defending. The Jewish element was judging one another's spirituality and putting pressure on people to conform even when they didn't want to. Galatians chapter 2, it says, When Peter came from Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Before James' group came from Jerusalem, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew himself and would not eat with them. And it says, even Barnabas was caught up in their dissimulation, hypocrisy. So Paul says, I'll even call it out publicly if necessary. This Jewish element needed to be quenched. It needed to be squelched. These troublemakers were aggressively trying to win the Galatians over to a works-based salvation. They were passionately doing this. They were hypnotizing people. They gave fair speeches that sounded so wonderful. Boy, if being a Christian you need to do this, well, let's just add a few more rules. If being a Christian looks like this, well, let's just add uh, some other Jewish things to it. And Paul says, oh, foolish Galatians, who is it that bewitched you? He says, 
I set Jesus Christ before your eyes, prographo is the word that he used. I put it graphically before you. I showed Jesus Christ hanging on a cross, crucified, beaten, spit on for our sins, and now you're telling me that I've got to add something to the death of the Messiah, the death of Almighty God who came in and fulfilled the law perfectly? Oh, foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? He says, they zealously court you so that you can be zealously affected for them so that they won't get persecuted. That's what these Judaizers were doing, these troublemakers. They hindered believers from running well. You cannot legislate spirituality. I remember when I went to divinity school and they had all these rules and I uh, graduated and started discipling a guy and we threw all the rules out. (laughs) And uh, he said, Patrick, where'd you go to divinity school? So I told him, I went to Temple Baptist Seminary in Chattanooga. And that's, he said, that's only 45 miles away from us, Rome, Georgia. He says, will you write a letter? So anyway, long story short, so I send a letter, just a glowing letter. You know, this guy wants to get enrolled in divinity school. He wants to work on his master's. And so he shows up for his first day of class with flip-flops, pair of shorts, and a t-shirt on. <laughs> that's all he knew. He didn't know he had to have a jacket and a tie and a coat and have a nice haircut. And uh, they sent him home. <laughs> but he stuck it out, and he put up with their rules. And I don't even know where I was going with this rabbit story. <laughs> oh, it had something to do with you can't legislate spirituality. Now, they could tell him what he needed to look like, right? This is where I was going with that story. How he looked on the outside. They could tell him to put on a pair of shoes so your toes ain't sticking out. Put on a a shirt with a tie so you look like a preacher boy. That's what they called him down in the South. But it could not change his heart. The Spirit of God is the only thing that can do that. And the Galatian Christians were running well. They were living and enjoying their Christian liberties. They were growing in Christ's likeness. And Paul says, He says, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? He says, this persuasion, it doesn't come from the one who calls you. All it takes is a little bit of leaven to rise the whole batch of dough. The next thing that Paul does in this book, he defends the truth. Truth is under attack today. You send a kid off to college and they're going to become dumb idiots (laughs) because they're going to tell them that truth is subjective that you have your truth and i have my truth what a load of rubbish there's only one truth right i mean the the english language mean it's got to mean something or we can't even communicate and so paul says truth is absolute It's undiminished, it's unchanging, and it's objective. In other words, truth is not influenced by my personal feelings. Truth is not influenced by opinion. We don't take opinion polls to decide who Jesus Christ was. Jesus said, I am who I am. And they picked up stones to kill him. 
to compromise truth in the least bit is to dilute the gospel, 2.5. So if you're in Galatians, go over to chapter 2 and verse 5. And I've already kind of paraphrased this verse, but Paul says, I wouldn't put up with it even for a second, whom I yielded subjection, not even for an hour. And here's the purpose clause. Why he didn't have Titus circumcised, the purpose is, or the result, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So Paul defends truth throughout this gospel. If need be, Paul, I said before, he would expose even people that, that um, were not living straightforward with the truth. So Galatians 2.13, or 2.14 rather, when I saw that they were not straightforward, orthopedic is our Greek word there, about the truth of the gospel, I confronted Peter over it. He challenged those who had been influenced by fair speeches as well about the truth. By telling the truth, listen to this this morning, by telling the truth that corrects, that exposes lies and error and sin, and by telling truth that builds up and challenges false doctrine does not make you someone's enemy. It makes you their best friend in reality. In Galatians 4.16, Paul says, Have I become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. Most notably in the book of Galatians is the mutual exclusivity between law and grace. Law has no power to change. Law can only point out our error and our sin. The law was given to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world guilty before God. Therefore, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. These two things are diametrically opposed, law and grace, and that's so vividly pictured in the book of Galatians. The other thing that he contrasts is faith and works. Faith is believing what Christ has done for us. Works is saying, I'm going to try to add to that and somehow make it into heaven on my own onus, on my own good behavior. Good luck with that one, huh? The other thing that he opposes or or shows the exclusivity between is spirit and flesh. Oh, foolish Galatians who bewitched you from not obeying the truth before your eyes, Jesus Christ was evidently set before you crucified. This one thing I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Now you are going to be made perfect in your own human striving No, Paul says that it's not possible. So he emphasizes these two things. In fact, Paul says that if we add anything to the gospel of grace, Christ died for nothing. Galatians 2.21, Paul says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain.
It's obvious that there's only one way to receive the Holy Spirit, because it's a gift. And since it's a gift, there's only one way that you and I can grow in our spiritual life. The Christian life begins with the infusion of the Holy Spirit from regeneration, and the Holy Spirit is the only way to make us alive, then it's ridiculous to think that I can go spiritually by my own human effort without the enablement of the Holy Spirit. Only by continually filling and submitting myself to the Holy Spirit can I ever hope to have victory in the Christian life. Galatians 5.16, this is what I say then, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I'm, I, got, I got a teenage boy, and um, it's rough of raising teenagers. It's my last one. Hallelujah. <laughs> and uh, last night he came, and he says, he says, Mom, Dad, he says, I'm going out somewhere. And his mom says, you are? He goes, yeah. I'm tattling on him here. <laughs> he says, well, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm 17. I'm almost 18. I'm almost a grown-up. And mom says, well, where are you going? Who are you going with? And what are you doing? What time are you going to be back? He's still under governors and tutors until the age appointed by mom and dad. But when he's mature and he is an adult, then I can say, Brendan, you go do what you want to do. And Paul uses that analogy in the book of Galatians. When you and I are walking in the Spirit, go and do whatever you want to do. I don't care what it is. You just go do it. He says, really? Yes. Because you are walking in the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And against those things, there is no law. Galatians 5.23 So that kind of brings me to my next point. My next point is that Paul gives three illustrations in this book to show what Christian maturity is like. The first illustration is a covenant or a will, or a testament. And Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, he says, even if it's just a human covenant, a man-made covenant, once it's ratified, no one adds to it or subtracts from it. I mean, how would you like it if you went into, you know, um, to, to buy an automobile, and you sign the contract, and the contract is signed, and then they come back and say, oh, by the way, we're, we're, we're taking away, you know, that, um, that, that year of insurance that we promised you. And we're going to take away, you know, um, the whatever else, you know, we're, we're, and we're going to make you pay for this. And you say, no, you, the contract is already signed. You can't add anything, you can't take anything away from it. What if they wanted to say, well, we're going to add some other things that you've got to make these other payments for. No, no, the contract has already been signed. And, and Paul says, so I'm going to just use a human covenant. Covenant. Once it's, it's done, it's done. And he uses that illustration to say, how did God make a covenant with Abraham? It was a unilateral covenant. It was a one-sided covenant. Abraham was sound asleep when God made the covenant with him. There was nothing Abraham could possibly do. God walked through those animals signifying that, Abraham, if you don't keep your side of the covenant, I will even shed my blood for you. It was a picture of Jesus. 
And that covenant was sealed. The law came 430 years after the Abrahamic covenant. And how was Abraham justified by God? He walked out and he looked at the stars that night and he believed God. And it was put to his credit as righteousness. And so Paul uses that illustration. You and I, if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, if I have acknowledged, yes, I am a sinner, and only Christ can save me, God entered into a covenant with you, and you can't add anything to that, and you can't take anything away from that, you are sealed eternally in Jesus. And that's good news. So that was his first illustration. Then he uses another one from a Roman custom or Roman law, and I'm probably going to massacre this Latin. Noah could probably help me this morning. He's taking some Latin. <laughs> but it's pronounced tutela im... I'm not even going to try it. <laughs> I'll give you the English. It means... I could, I could give you the Greek, but I can't do Latin. Guardianship of a minor. That's what this... this and, and he says, now, in a Roman family... They had this, this law, and the father decided when the son was going to get his inheritance. And when that day was set, then he was considered the heir. But up until that time, he had a tutor that took him to school, who managed his homework and, and did, you know, watched over everything he did. And then he had somebody who invested his money for him, and he didn't get it until that time appointed by the father. And by the way, Brendan, it was the age of 25. <laughs> so that time appointed by the father, then he became the heir. And Paul says, this is what God had done. God did the same thing. We were under the basic elements of the law because we were so immature, we didn't know right from wrong. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because we are sons, you know what God has done? He has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your heart, crying out, Papa, Father. That's who you and I are. Paul uses that illustration. Who wants to go back under governors and tutors, right? I would rather be a full-fledged son that says, He is my Father, and I've got His Spirit living in me. He used a third illustration, and that was Abraham's two wives, which illustrates two covenants. One was a slave woman, Hagar, corresponding Ishmael, Sarah, and Isaac. And those two sons didn't get along. They feuded and they persecuted the one born of promise. And you know the same thing is going on today. When you start enjoying your Christian freedoms, people will start pointing their finger at you and trying to find fault in your life. And that was what was happening. So Paul used those illustrations to help them understand. So I've kind of given you the big picture of the book of Galatians. So this morning... What are some of our applications? What can we take away from this? Well, first of all, the most important thing in the book of Galatians is are you saved? Do you, in fact, know that you're a child of God and that the Spirit of Christ dwells in you crying out, Abba, Father? Well, where do we need to start? This is where we use the law. 
The law is not given for a righteous man, but for the unrighteous to bring them to Christ. If you're going to try to say, you know what, pastor, I've been a good person. I don't think I'm a sinner. I don't think I really need a savior. I, I, I can work this out and, and I, my good is going to outweigh my bad. You do that and you put yourself under a curse. Because the book of Galatians says, Cursed is he who does not continue in every single thing written in the book of the law to do them. And Christ this morning has become a curse for you. For it is written, Cursed is the man who hung on a tree. He became your curse. So that's where we need to begin. This morning, do you know Christ? Secondly, how are you growing in your walk with Christ? Have you begun in the Spirit? The one who works miracles among you? The one who supplies the Holy Spirit to you? How does God do that? Does He do it by hearing of faith? Or does He do it by the works of the law? He does it by hearing of faith. So God wants you to grow in your faith. And how do you grow in your faith? You, you hunger and you thirst for it. And if you don't, you simply confess that and you say, God, change my heart. Give me a heart that will hunger for you. And God, I repent and I want to have the fullness of the Spirit. And, and, and God, I see how defeated I am without you. Let me live in your fullness. Third application. Are we living in the truth? Are we willing to call out what is false? Do we feel pressure from others to compromise what we know is true? The last application is that we have a standard. We have a rule. And this is the rule by which we need to accept one another in North Valley Bible Church. It's not our bylaws, and it has nothing exterior. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision of anything but a new creation. And as many who walk by that canon, that's the measurement, that's the standard. The peace of Israel be upon you. And Paul says, I am an apostle. This gospel is real. And I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. So don't let anybody bother me about this ever again. So Paul was very emphatic, very straightforward in this book. And I'm looking forward to us just walking through the book of Galatians and seeing what God wants to teach us today. So we're closing up and tying things together this morning. I just want to invite you. I, I, I know you're here every Sunday. Most of the, We don't have any visitors this morning other than our truck driver friend. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Um, but um, don't presume to know your hearts. God alone knows your heart. So search your heart this morning and ask the Lord, do I trust in Christ alone? Do I recognize that I need a Savior? And ask Him to come in and change your life from the inside out.
And if you're not growing as a Christian, you can grow the exact same way that you became a Christian from the inside out. And if you're judging others this morning and you're looking at other people's lives, remember this is the standard. It's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. A new creation. Paul said it twice. He says, circumcision avails nothing nor uncircumcision, but faith working through love. So that's our teaching for this morning. Father God, this morning, I just pray that you'll take this message, Lord, and burn it into our hearts. That God, as a church at North Valley Bible Church, God, that we would not compromise truth. But God, in those matters of conscience, that we would give people grace under the freedom and the liberty of the Holy Spirit to live out the Christian life as they are convinced that they are supposed to do. Father God, I pray this morning that we as a people, as we as a church, God, that we would walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that we would be transformed from the inside out. God, that we wouldn't have to put rules and regulations in anybody's life, but we could just trust them to the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, gentleness, kindness, goodness, temperance, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. God, we want this to be a place where the Holy Spirit can visit us in worshiping you in spirit and in truth. We pray this for your kingdom's sake, for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name.